You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Never an easy one after a Wales defeat, particularly in a game like that where they came so close and looked as though they might well nick it at the end. But nonetheless, the show must go on. And fortunately, this week I was joined uh, by good friend of the show, Geraint Davis, uh, who is a rugby coach and analyst. And um, if you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure you do, because he's got some really, really good insight, much better than the likes of uh, than me or Daniel Killick could bring you. So yeah, make sure you follow Geraint at DavisGDD on Twitter. Talking to Dan Killick, hoping to get him back on this podcast at some point soon. He's been missing for Three or four weeks, I think. But uh, yeah, with any luck, we'll get him back. Rumours of a of a rift in the attacking scrum camp are very much uh, exaggerated. Uh, that is, unless he uh, doesn't pull his finger out and get back on this pod sometime soon. Uh, big thanks again, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been tucking into that after a few early morning starts this week. Uh, I know we say this every week, but genuinely, if you're a fan of your coffee make sure you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. There is something for everyone on there and it is uh, great stuff. And they've even just launched an, an instant range as well if you can't be bothered getting the old cafetiere out. Uh, so yeah, do check those guys out. Um, but yeah, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. But in the meantime, enjoy the show. Ben Davis takes the tap down from Peter Brown. It's beautifully laid back for Gareth Edwards. Over the Welsh Danyard line, over halfway, the kick ahead by Edwards. Can he score? It would be a miracle if he could. He may well get there. And he has. A big welcome back to the show to Garrett Davis. How are you doing, Garrett? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are we getting on? Yes, all right, thanks. Welcoming you back for your second appearance on the show. Yeah, thank you. Which, uh, as yeah, as kind of Nick Tompkins found out in Ireland, can be a can be a tricky one. Um, <laughs> let's hope that uh, that yeah, this is more uh, more like the uh, the Nick Tompkins debut. Um, do you know what? 
that's a, an interesting point to start with because I am quite fascinated by this bloke as a as a player. He's um, when he was first called up into that squad, I really thought, oh yeah, we're going to get a really solid, dependable uh, centre here. But he's been fascinating watching both good and bad in these in these first three Test matches, hasn't he? Yeah, very much so. I think uh, it is probably a decent example of uh, the fact that international rugby is a massive, massive step up on any any domestic league. Um, I mean, he, he promises a lot, uh, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of good things going on with his play. I think some of his his defensive work has actually actually been pretty decent, but he's been put under quite a bit of pressure. Um, but the the size of the errors have been uh, have been fairly large. Uh, this was the the ones you'd get away with on a kind of a club based game, but international level. They're just too big, unfortunately, and it's standing out to the minute. Well, we're going to look into that in a bit more detail as the show goes on. And we've also, of course, got listeners' questions to get stuck into, as always. But I just want to start by kind of getting your uh, your assessment on on that game. That was a tough one to take, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. I think it was uh, it's very, very winnable. I think uh, the, the, a lot of the comments have been about France deserving the win, and in, in fairness to them, they, they did deserve the win. Uh, but it's, it's even even then, it was still a very winnable game. Uh, and I think there's some just real key moments, as a lot being said in the press about some mm. of the uh, some of the decisions that were made on kind of by, by the man with the whistle in addition to the players. And uh, I think they probably the players are, are more so going to look at their decision making on quite key moments of the game. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those, you know, um, there's been a number of Wales games I've watched over the years where you felt really frustrated with the ref. I don't know if it's just as I'm getting older, but in recent times, I think that's less and less of an excuse. And I think looking back at yesterday's game, there are definitely some decisions that didn't go in our favour. I, I mm. think most most notably the, the Valenza uh, like, yeah, deliberate knock-on, as, as I would have perceived it, from mm. Ken Owens, but at the same time, there was, you know, there were some other decisions that that did go away. I think the bigger try was was questionable. I've seen those not given, also. Mm. And I, I agree with you. To me, it felt like a game that was infinitely winnable, despite the fact that perhaps you didn't get the rub of the green in, on a few of those decisions. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, it's too much of an easy out. I think to, to blame the referee. I think the, it's been a shame that so much has been drawn on that. I mean, look at the decisions just pre-half time. You got kind of eight eight minutes or so of play mm-hmm. where Wales are in real, uh, full control. Uh, France are down to fourteen men. They've decided to go for a scrum, and you know, that's that's a big decision in, in itself. Uh, which you know you, you kind of live and by, live and die by those kind of decisions. Um, I, I was pretty pleased that they, they that they did go for the scrum. To be honest, I think. Uh, Showing a little bit of intent and yeah. and the want to score seven points, uh, but then the strategy from it, I just you know, that, that's something you can't blame the referee for that. The referee didn't uh, he, referee didn't drop any passes or make any any poor decisions there. That was that was very much the players, and, and they've got to take that on the chin. And this is something you all know a damn sight more about than I will. But my my thought of that was was very very similar to you there. That I like the intent because you know you know what it's like when the, when the clock goes red. The tendency is that. I think mindset-wise, players kind of want to get off the pitch, particularly if you if you drop down to fourteen men. Mm-hmm. But what they weren't able to do, Wales, was was capitalise on that. And actually, I thought it was a little bit formulaic off the off the back of that scrum. You know, you found players getting isolated very easily. Whereas actually, under the uh, to be fair to him, under Rob Howley's kind of guidance, that the what Wales were able to do off uh, off first phase ball was they they were they had some very good strike moves that that pretty often resulted in tries in those kind of scenarios. 
yeah, kind of no no frills kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, was it was fairly effective. Um, I think it was interesting uh, the, the first opportunity when they they stacked the left hand side of the scrum, uh, and then Falatau's goes open, which it was predictable him going open, but not yeah. so much that Gareth Davis was going to drop onto the left hand side. Um, I think uh, yeah, just strategy wise, it just lost out a bit there. They seemed to be keen to play off a scrum and then play short plays from it when the, the scrum was ready made for them. The, the France were down to 14 men. They had six in the back line. They had three on the open side. I mean, it's a ready-made ready opportunity to just have a, have a crack at it. And they seemed really reluctant uh, to, to be uh, bold and brave. They, they wanted to tighten the game up, but you know, the scrum had already done that for them. There was, there's no need to tighten it up anymore. Just to take the opportunity that was already there for them. And how much of that is down to, like you say, the poor strategy or how much of it is down to execution? Is that something, is that a disconnect between Falatau and Davis there? Or is that, because it, it didn't seem to me like that would have been what they would have trained with during the week. Yeah, I think that the scrum the scrum wheels the, the other way. So the decision to go open from Falatau's point of view was no no major issue with that. You'd, you kind of, you'd want your eight to go over the wheel. Um, but to stack so many players blindside when your scrum has not been incredibly settled all game I thought that was a that was an interesting decision um, particularly as uh, France were, were down a, a number already so they, they wouldn't have had any, anybody in the backfield um, they were what six metres from the try line so th- there's there was no chance of France putting anybody in the back line it was kind of one-on-one tackles um, it almost just made it easy for them uh, it, it made sense you, you've got a big open side they've got kind of 50 metres or so on the, on the open side you know, a fairly simple strategy, I, I would imagine, would have uh, would have brought some points there. Um, I was yeah just intrigued that they they wanted to play a really tight game, um, but from a set piece, I was in an ideal position. I, I just I'm struggling to get my head around that one. I'd say got lots of listeners' questions to get stuck into, which we'll do in just a moment. But one thing I think has been a wash on social media is has been kind of criticism of the defence over the past two games. This, again, is an area you will know a lot more about. What has your assessment been of Wales's defence uh, from the Ireland game and also the game against France? Yeah, so some things are really really stood out. I mean, the kind of the, the, the overall statement is that it's different. Uh, it, it, it feels different. It looks different. Um, I think behaviour on the ruck area has been really intriguing. Uh, kind of, I hoped in the in the Ireland game that it was just a mistake that they'd uh, they'd one off event and they'd they'd committed too many men to ruck and they'd recognised that. Um, and then it just sort of continuation of it yesterday, and uh, I, I'm intrigued by their their mindset of, of putting three or four men in the in the defensive rack, um, and why they why they feel that that's that's uh, something that they want their back rowers in particular doing. It was interesting the uh, the try that the France have scored from from the kick. Um, it's, it's it's interesting looking at the kind of strategy of the of the Welsh players. 30, 35 seconds before that, um, where Moriarty's gone into into the ruck from the open side, uh-huh. no reason to do so. They don't. They already had three players in the ruck, um, so he's the fourth member to join. That then means that they get broken on the uh, broken on the blind side because they're a number down. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a real difference on the ruck area, uh, and I think that's affecting things outside. Right? We're seeing fairly regularly at the minute we're, we're getting broken on the outside. Well, we're kind of one or two men down, which if you look at a defensive pattern of being uh, each individual is worth five five meters, that that's quite significant, particularly on an edge, uh, and, and that's pretty much what we're getting beaten by that kind of five six, five six meter mark. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, one thing I would be I'd be intrigued to get your opinion on is. Often in these scenarios, I think as fans, we like to go, oh, you know, he should have picked so-and-so, he should have picked so-and-so. 
player X would have made a difference here. And, you know, it, the tendency is always to look for personnel changes mm. in the wake of a defeat. But honing in on the back row, would you say that this this back row, or perhaps the back five of the pack, is lacking proper jackaling ability? You know, the the likes of a, a Warburton, Pocock-style player who is really going to win you lots and lots of turnovers and then mean you don't perhaps have to commit so many to the ruck? Yeah, I mean, we, we, I don't think we do have that that exact type of character. Um, we, we have got Tipirik, who's uh, who's been you know pretty renowned for his turnover ability. Um, but I think he's struggling to be able to get to get on the ball. I think the, the <clears> pressure that we're putting in uh, into our line speed isn't getting us into good position to get turnovers. In reality, you, you rarely see a, a good contested ruck unless you get a go forward defence. Um, we don't tend to be catching opposition in, in front of the game line, which makes it pretty hard for those guys. And Moriarty, I mean, it's just, it's just not his game. He's, he's the guy that's going to be leading your defensive line and making the tackles. Um, getting on the ball is uh, definitely not something that he's uh, that he's renowned for. Um, and you know, Ball and and, and Alleman Jones there, it's same kind of same kind of thing really. There, they'll chase up the line, and make good tackles. Uh, highly unlikely they're going to get onto their feet to, to challenge so yeah I'd say they probably are struggling a little bit in, in that department um, but I still think it's strategy I think mm. it's it's, it's, an, it's an intended strategy to um, allow those guys to get into the ruck so typically against Ireland uh, kind of five or six metres away from a ruck and he chases in into the ruck that ends up then with the, with the break on the on the open side um, just really really small behaviours that I, I can't see that they happen unless they're being coached. So it's uh, I, I'm, I'm struggling to to understand uh, that it, it can be just a momentary decision. Um, it's it's got to be strategy based, which is really interesting because again, I think a lot of us looked at that appointment of Sam Warburton as a breakdown consultant and thought, right here, actually, what what Warburton was so good at as a player was not just his ability over the ball, but knowing when to when to really go for the turnover, when to slow the ball, and when to not commit at all. Mm. So. I don't know whether that's just a new coaching team finding their feet or perhaps he's not he's not the one making the decision with regards to that area. Yeah, I'm going to assume, and it will be only a assumption, I'm going to assume that he's, he's not making those decisions. Um, it's, it's, I say, it's, it being strategy-based, you'd, you'd suggest that's coming from your defence coach, uh, which I mean, it's going to take time for those guys to, to bed in and, uh, you know, I think a lot of the criticism they've come in uh, come under, I think, is is really unwarranted. I mean, it's, it's three internationals oh, in, three into their tenure, yeah. so they they got to they got to have time the bed in, and I've got a lot of uh, a lot of faith that they will get it right. Um, I, I'm really hopeful that that's an area that they just they accept it's not working. It's 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 something that they may have thought might work, it hasn't. Let's let's uh, leave it behind us and, and move on with a new strategy. All right, well, let's move on ourselves and, and get stuck into a couple of these listeners' questions. The first of these is uh, from Gary Mason, a.k.a. Gasman Roy, long-time listener to the podcast. Can't believe Wales didn't take three points after getting a pen uh, in front of the sticks four minutes into first-half injury time. Breakdown's still an issue, as we've, as we've kind of said there. But his question is, with both wingers potentially injured, who comes in for the England game if they aren't available? I think the the person that stands out for me is Steph Evans at the Scarlets. Uh, he's he's played this evening and uh, by all accounts is had a decent game. Uh, very unlucky not to score in the corner. Um, just in touch apparently. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, he'd be my he'd be my first choice. I think in reality, is he's probably been unlucky to to miss out anyway. He's obviously struggled a bit with injury and fitness. Um, so I think Steph Evans would, would definitely be up there. Um, obviously Halimi Moss has been brought into, into yeah. the squad. Um, and he'd be somebody that you'd look at. And then you've got Lane at uh, Cardiff Blues. He's, he's had a he's had a decent Christmas period at, at Cardiff. He's unfortunately playing in the team, but struggling. So it's it's maybe harder for for those kind of particularly back three there to to stake a claim. But yeah, I probably go Steph Evans as my, as my first choice. Yeah, I think uh, I think Owen Lane injury wise it, it is very um, very unlikely to be fit to take part in any any of the remaining games in six mm. nations. Yeah. Like you say, Hallam Amos called up into the, into the squad this week. And I mean, I suppose if you look at the players who are originally in the, in the squad, there is a, you know, uh, Louis Reese Samet is the, is the one mm. that gathered a lot of attention before the start yeah. it's in fantastic form, but that would be a hell of a place to throw an 18, 19 year old into his debut away at Twickenham, particularly as England bounced back after a, after a win, I suppose potentially what Wayne Pivak is hoping is that the injury news is a bit better than it has been in recent weeks with regards to Liam Williams, because that would be, uh, you know, you don't have any of those concerns with regards to experience, but he hasn't yeah. played a lot of rugby lately. Yes, uh, oh, it'd, be, it'd be a massive call. I've, uh, I've kind of resigned myself to think that he that he won't get the won't get the nod. But it, I think it'd be great for, great if he did. Um, you know, we, we spoke previously that he's a he's a young lad with loads of potential. Um, he's had a he scored again yesterday for, for Gloucester. Um, mm. So you know the, the guy knows where the knows where the trial line is, and like, he's physical and he's he's, he's pretty physically mature. Um, Again, adapting to that, that kind of environment uh, is it, pretty tough. But at the same time, I suppose you, you don't know if you're if you're not bold and give you things a go. You, you don't know uh, you could turn into a superstar uh, as a result of having a, having a crack at it. So it's a it'd be a bold move, and I'm I'm anticipating that it, it's unlikely to happen. But um, you know, I'd, I'd back it if it did. Yeah, I think if I had to hazard a guess on what Pivac would do, then you would expect McNichol to come in for North, and I would expect Hallam Amos to to take the the number 11 berth would be my, my thoughts on what he'd do. But to be fair, he's been quite hard to predict with his selection, Wayne Pivak. I think he's been very keen to have a look at all of the players in the squad, mm-hmm. quite whether that'll extend to, to uh, you know, to a very young and experienced winger at Twickenham. I'm not, enti- I'm not entirely sure. I think that the safer bet would probably be to go for someone like Hal Amos, but we will see. And uh, I suppose the, the advantage is at least there is a, an extra week's recovery time. So you never know. I don't know. It will depend very much on what the news of, uh, of, of Josh Adams is. Uh, with regards to George North, though, this links nicely into a question from Ian Alexander. Every time George North looks up for a game, he seems to get a head knock or a muscle injury. Can he still perform at the level he did as a youngster or has his time passed? Oh, I certainly wouldn't say his time has passed. I think uh, he's just dreadfully unlucky yesterday. I mean, there's a fairly random event to catch, mm. catch an elbow in that kind of situation. Um, it's I mean, he's he's. Uh, he's got a good game left in him. Uh, plenty of good games left in him. Uh, I, I'm not the... I'm definitely not one of his doubters, uh, yeah. one of his big supporters. In fact, um, I think that he can be he can be used probably more effectively. Um, in terms of his uh, his injury ch- challenges and uh, his, his head knocks, I mean that's just dreadfully unlucky. Um, I, I don't think that's any uh, any bad reflection on him that he's caught a random elbow on the way out to the touchline. Um, 
that's that's something that can happen to anybody. It just happens to be that it's happened to him, uh, which uh, which is dreadfully unlucky. Um, but I, I back him to get back, uh, back to fitness, and uh, I'll be, be another important member of the team. I'll be interested how his how his return to play goes. I know uh, how long his, his symptoms take to die off because you know feasibly he could be fit for the fit for the England game. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I just think that so many people are as much as it's been fashionable to kind of bash George North over the last few months, I think there's, there's an, another sector supporters, probably the vast majority who are probably just very concerned mm-hmm. because of his history of so many knocks to the head. And, uh, but there's nothing you can do other than go through the protocol. And, uh, you know, I know they, they sometimes bring in specialist, uh, specialist um, consultants when it comes to this area, Mm-hmm. But you'd have to trust the the Wales fitness staff and and you know medical team to say if he's fit he's fit. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, being a player of his caliber and of his experience, he, he'll he'll know his own body. He'll know whether he wants to take a longer time out, whether he passes return to play or not. Uh, he'll he'll make a make a really good decision on that. I'm I'm sure somebody somebody who's kind of had the had the worry previously as to whether he's going to get back into the game at all. He won't want to risk his uh, his long term health, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty confident that uh, we'll see him back in the field, uh, hopefully in the in the real near, near future. Um, I think is if we use him probably more creatively, uh, he'd be using him as a battering ram. Is was probably a little bit old at this point in time. Uh, it'd be nice to see him in a little bit more space. Um, I think he, he can still do a really good job for Wales. Yeah, I mean, very keen to to get your thoughts on this with your coaching hat on, how do you use, you know, give give us some examples of how you'd use George North more creatively. Oh, it'd be nice to get him into a bit of second phase play. I think uh, we're seeing a little bit more of the Welsh wingers in particular being used uh, as pick and go options off a ruck. Um, we saw um, so, uh, an element of North tonight yesterday and then McNichol today when, when he came on. Um, it'd be nice to see him get into those kind of situations uh, with, with quick ball. And you, if you play the same way, it's actually pretty good for a player of, of his type of uh, his attributes. It's like an eight picking off a scrum. You've got a little bit of space to play in, a uh, little bit of footwork against kind of uh, bigger, bigger, slower guys. So it'd be nice to see him use in those kind of ways rather than the kind of just uh, hit him, hit him off, a, off a first phase, hit him into contact and then play off him. Just use him when the, sp- when the space is slightly more open, maybe in, the, in phase play. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Right, let's take one more question before we jump to a quick break. This one is from Lost in Yorkshire. The most experienced Welsh Six Nations team ever, but did the loss come down to individual and team decision-making, uh, poor individual and team decision-making at times? Yeah, it's interesting that stat, isn't it? Uh, and Simon Gleave on, online with uh, bringing, out, uh, bringing out that stat, um, which is which is something that I think we we can celebrate in lots of ways. Um, mm. When it came down to key key moments in decision-making, uh, you, you come back to those scrums before half-time, yeah. um, taking the scrum on the first one, you, I, I'd be very supportive of that. Um, after four and a half minutes or so of injury time, and then you're still, you're still not going anywhere, at that point, I, I think you've just got to kind of swallow your pride a little bit and take three points at, at, that, at that moment in time. Um and then you're going to take some of the moments in the in, in the second half and some of our territory play. We probably try to play too quickly, um, and I think the you know, the, the halfbacks are going to take a bit of responsibility there. Um, they're trying to pull the trigger second or third phase when fr- front fronts were pretty pretty quick to get up on us in centre field. Um, 
So I, I would have liked to have seen us being a little bit more abrasive, really. I'm kind of play inside the fence to fence. Uh, so there's, there's definitely a, an element of decision making going on there. Um, but then that it doesn't matter what experience you are if you're if you if you feel like a new group and I, and I, and I sense that I sense of the team they, they feel that they're a new it's a new team it's a new camp mm. um, regardless of what experience is there and I think we're, we're, we're almost seeing what we would normally see from an inexperienced team uh, because of the change in strategy and uh, the, the different things being said to them. I mean, you, you can understand how much of an impact it has when you've got a different voice and changing room after 12 years. Uh, so, you know, some of the players have never played under anybody other than Gatland. So yeah. that's, that's a big, uh, it's a big transition to make. Yeah, absolutely. I think the interesting thing is if you look at players like Bigger and Alan Wynne-Jones, for example, they you know, Dan Bigger in a Wales shirt has thrown more risky passes and tip-ons and things like this, you know, the through-the-legs pass against Italy. He's done more of these kind of uh, flair moves in the last three games than I can, than, I, than you'd probably say collectively under the time he was Gatlin's first choice 10. And I'd be... I'd be wary of kind of criticising that because we've said for so long we wanted to see a bit more adventure and a bit more a bit more ambition from from the backs. And I think he's showing that he can do these things, but as a unit, it doesn't feel like it's all gelling. There were times where it went nicely, but I think the little dink over the top that that Tomkins got on the end of, Mm. you know, we're starting to see that he can get, he can get more out of a, out of a back line out of him than I think people thought was possible at international level. Uh, So that's, that's something that's encouraging. And likewise, Alan Jones, you know, these kind of big one handed uh, offloads, you know, he's carrying the ball as if it's a, as if it's a peanut, you know, he's, he's almost doing his best uh, Nakarawa impression. Um, <laughs> he, it's interesting to see, and it's not quite working at the moment, but that sense of ambition, I think is something that, that we should be excited about looking, you know, looking for positives. Oh, definitely. I think uh, people can remember that we've complained <laughs> religiously for 10 years mm. about, uh, about the Gatlin style of play. Uh, it's brought us wonderful success. So you know, everybody's pretty happy when we win. Uh, but it, it comes with a lot of stick for playing a really restricted game, uh, a, a game in reality where the ball just didn't move anywhere. We just we played a really battering ram type of game, waited for the opposition to fold, and then you know, maybe scored a couple of tries then. Uh, but when it comes down to a new regime now, t- taking a slightly different approach to it, you've you've got to you've got to celebrate that. Um, you know, I, I don't like seeing Wales lose against uh, against France in the game. I think they could have won, uh, or losing against Ireland in the game. I think they could have won. But at the same time, how do, how do they uh, how do they grow and develop if they, if they can't have a crack at what they what they're trying to do? Um, I think somebody like Dan Bigger, uh, there's definitely a change in him. Uh, I think part of that's come from his kind of experience with Sam Vesti over at Saints. I think he's he's had a real positive impact in his confidence mm-hmm. level. Um, and then seeing Alimin Jones out on the out on the edge, I mean, when he gave that big one-handed offload, uh, I was surprised to see him there. Um, I, I think that's, that's maybe something that they'll reflect on a little as the you know, maybe his attributes aren't quite as support uh, supportive of being on the edge uh, as they as they might be. Um, but they, yeah, they, they're trying things, uh, and, and we actually had some good go forwards from it. I mean, we can't forget we had we had some decent entries in, into the French 22, and there's, there's opportunities to score. So something is going right clearly um it, it's easy to be doom and gloom but we, we got in try scoring positions uh it's then to look how well how would you then convert those from there absolutely right loads more still to come on the attacking scrum podcast but first we're going to take a very quick break
This is Keelan Giles, and you're listening to Attack and Scrum, sponsored by So Coffee Trades. Let's crack on, because we've still got more questions to get through. This one is from a good friend of the podcast, Paul Baines, better known as Driving Mall on, on Twitter and on YouTube. And he asks, how long before the transition explanation starts to wear thin? <laughs> oh, uh, pretty pretty soon. Uh, mm. The Welsh public are pretty unforgiving. Um, I think I think in reality we're probably going to want to see some decent progress against England in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I think th- this championship in itself, it'll, it'll be over in a flash. Um, mm. We'll play Scotland in, in Cardiff in a few weeks' time. Uh, you're going to want to see something significantly different against England. Um, I mean, defensively in particular, uh, at this point when you've had you know, a couple of or three uh, big internationals and then the, the, the Barbarians game, that that's sufficient time to to see a real change in behaviour in terms of the tactical aspect of, of the game, uh, particularly as the squad, uh, you know, the squad are used to each other. It's it's the game they're trying to get used to. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be seeing a real step up against England, um, and then kind of really bring it home then against against Scotland when we're back in Cardiff in a, you know three weeks time. Yeah, you're right, and obviously England is the next the next task ahead, which is to be perfectly honest, the one game every year that fills me with absolute dread. Obviously, living where I do, it becomes uh, it becomes much more uh, much more anxious than than any other fixture, I think, but. Let's just quickly get your take on that England performance today. What did you make of uh, what did you make of, of their victory over Ireland? Oh, I thought it was pretty reminiscent of, of some of their defensively playing the World Cup. To be honest, I think uh, the, the, not a huge amount has changed in terms of their, their strategy. Um, I just thought they, they came up with loads more energy. Um, I think they, they got probably away with a lot that uh, around the tackle area. Mm. Uh, it's interesting watching the uh, the kind of support players tackling support players. So uh, as Ireland were were trying to carry with with uh, an extra player to kind of rocket them through the contact. Um, England did a pretty good job of clearing that player away really quickly so they could get their jackal in, um, which is pretty cute for them. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty illegal too, but uh, it was, uh, it was really effective. Um, so yeah, really impressed in reality. I think uh, the, the kicking game was really top draw. Um, they clearly picked up on the, some of the Irish habits of uh, of keeping one in the backfield, um, particularly on the on the open side. So then they they kick blind or kick centre field, and yeah, pretty pretty clever and. Execution is, is everything at that point. It's easy to have a strategy, but you, your players are going to pull it off. And a couple of uh, maybe slightly lucky bounces, but uh, you know you, you make your own luck. And the, the ball was put into the right places over, over the trial line, and uh, they did pretty well to chase it up. They did. I mean, there was there were some pretty schoolboy errors with that, though. I mean, the, uh, Johnny Sexton will be ruining that that first oh, yeah. one in particular, where I just think it was there, it popped up. You just got to get that down, even if you weren't entirely sure whether the ball had had crossed the, the line or not, and you're going to give away a scrum five, you just got to get got that down and not give it away. And then, you know, almost a carbon copy for, uh, for Elliot Daly's try as well. So, I mean, they'll, they'll be absolutely kicking themselves there. It's, it's been, it's been a fascinating six nations because I think other than, other than France, who've won all of their games, there's been some, some really poor performances from each of the other individual nations. 
Yeah, everybody's uh, at their moments of me. I mean, uh, it, it was it comes down to just doing doing your job as effective as you can. And we're seeing uh, re- really early on, seeing Con- Conor Murray kick dead from uh, mm. from a, uh, Iraq in the centre field in the in the run twenty two. I thought that was a little bit of a sign. You know, uh, Ireland pretty renowned for for playing and wanting to keep the ball in play, put the opposition under pressure. So the fact they were willing to kick dead so quickly, I thought that was a little bit of a sign of maybe how they were how they were feeling about the kind of the English attack. Um, they didn't want to give them too much transition ball, um, and, and I saw that a bit of a theme going through really. Uh, and the more they tried that, the more errors they made. And you're seeing Johnny Sexton uh, just completely mishitting his, uh, his his early penalty attempt, and it was just the same then with his conversion attempt later on. Um, so yeah, confidence players just uh, not not quite firing. I'm going to put this out there and, you know, I'm sure any Irish listeners will be will be giving me some some stick for this. But I've always said that Sexton does have a bad kicking, a bad kicking day in him. You know, he's one of those players, you know, whenever you watch a game on TV, the commentators always say, oh, he's a world class kicker. He's a world class kicker. Well, fundamentally, I think there are a few a few kickers in world rugby who are not quite at that at that same level. You know, I think you look at the, the biggest and the half pennies of this world and I'm trying. I'm trying to think of another couple of examples. You know, perhaps um, perhaps Pollard would be another one for. So actually, no, probably I don't think he would. But you know, you think those absolute best players in the world, and they they can slot virtually everything, and the pressure doesn't seem to get to them. Now, someone like Sexton, I, I've that's not the first time I've seen him miss easy penalties like that. And obviously, Bowden Barrett has had the the, the same thing for New Zealand too. It's a really really interesting one when you know a, a straightforward penalty like that for a player who is an absolute you know an all-time great player how that can that can get to him is, is absolutely fascinating yeah i mean i i, I rate sexton very very highly right. uh, no, i, 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 I do uh, absolutely but he's got a tendency i think to uh, to just snap at it i think uh, you you just see his foot placement next to the ball and uh, it, it it felt like it was in his head you know, as soon as he, as soon as he turned away from the kick you could see that it, was, it had affected him um whether it's something from the warm-up. I mean, something so small can affect players when they're under pressure. Um, you could have hit a couple of ones badly in the warm-up or tried to make some adjustments based on kind of wind conditions uh, and just got it wrong. That then plays in your mind. Next time you come to hit it, uh, you you, kind of, you hit it badly again. And obviously Cooney taking the last one and absolutely nailing it. It's uh, yeah. Maybe that was a little bit of a, a knock as well. But, you know, it's, he's, he's that kind of player that he's... He can easily bounce back, and uh, and, I, and I would anticipate him making that, those corrections pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, there's there's probably a slight slight aspect of uh, of some of the kind of mental aspects of the game affecting him there. It's it's a really interesting one, and look, just just to clarify again, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Sexton as a as a player, and looking at his his entire career, he's genuinely one of the one of the most effective tens that that you could ever wish to see play international mm-hmm. rugby. But I've just always thought that goal kicking is not the strongest suit in his game compared to game management or getting the outside backs outside him going. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm starting to, to think actually that, and I thought this after the World Cup, that perhaps it was time for him to, to concentrate on club duties. I'm sure he'll go and prove me wrong now and, uh, and have a blinding <laughs> remainder of the season. And, you know, he'll probably, he'll probably put on the 10 shirt for the Lions. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought it was a very interesting move by Andy Farrell to make him captain and build his, build his team around him. When, for me personally, I felt that the, the island under Joe Schmidt had been a bit too reliant on Sexton. And when he wasn't there or wasn't fully firing, they weren't the same team. 
Yeah, well, he's had a, bit, a massive influence on, on Irish rugby for a long time, and uh, you know, he's. I think those kind of players, it, it's hard to replace their, their experience and, and what he brings. Um, I think he's, he's been outstanding for Leinster, kind of time and time again. He's been outstanding for Ireland, time and time again, and indeed the Lions. Uh, I just think that if, if you've got in, that in your arsenal as a, taking over as, as a head coach, uh, I think it's a pretty astute decision to be honest from um, from Farrell to to go with him um, as as a character. I, mean, I, I don't know the guy, uh, so but. What I see on see on field, uh, I can see how other guys would uh, would rise to him and his confidence, um, and kind of will, will want want to fight fight with him. Um, my my slight concern then, of course, is that when you see days like today where things don't go to plan, is kind of where does that how does that affect his leadership? Um, and only the players in the field could uh, could comment, but that would probably be the only slight concern with, with you know, picking a, a ten of any variety really as your as your, as your captain is a is a bold move. But you know, as a world class, so uh, you know you'd always back him to to come back in. Good stuff. Right, let's uh, take on this. Gareth Davis, not that one, has sent in uh, a trio of questions for us. Let's take these one by one. First up, simple one, would Wales have won that game under Gatland? Uh, Wales would have played a different strategy uh, and it would it would have seen the, probably most things being different. Uh, yeah, Gatland lost games too. Would be would be my uh, my probably slightly diplomatic answer on that one. Uh, we, we don't know. Uh, Gatland's uh, approach to the game kind of brought some brought some really low moments in my in my memory of watching Wales play, and it brought some incredibly high moments. Uh, so let's uh, let's give this new chap a chance. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's absolutely spot on there. And the interesting thing is, you know, you look back to some of those early games that Gatland played against France, and uh, yeah, of course, you know, we had the, the Grand Slam win in in 08. But we had a very similar game to what happened yesterday in 2010 as well, mm-hmm. where actually France were, were quite comfortably ahead. And then we almost came into it at the end. There was a fabulous Shane Williams try Friday night game, I think, if, if memory serves me correctly. And so, you know, it's, it's not like we always ground out those those tough results under Gallant. I think, yes, we did in the Six Nations particularly towards the end of his career. But, you know, we had to, uh, towards his, the end of his tenure, but we, we, you're right, we had games that we lost under Gats as well. So, yeah, I, I think it's very, very quick to judge, uh, to yeah. judge Pivac and go after three games. Uh, the second question he sent in, how did France negate Gareth Davis's rush defence? Now, you will have seen this closer than me, but it didn't feel to me as though he was particularly given that free reign to go and do it like he did under, under Gats at the World Cup. It's really interesting. I've got a I've got a series of clips uh, of of him setting himself up to go and chase, and then pulls out of the chase. Yeah. Uh, I think France are really really clever where, where they place their first receivers, uh, and indeed where they place their uh, their protectors and blockers around the ruck area. Um, made it really really difficult in reality. Uh, I think that the time that the kickers were getting to, into mark in particular was getting some decent space to kick. I mean, it, it did actually negate that aspect. So I don't think it's a case of um, of him not wanting to do it. Mm. It's just not getting enough numbers on feet, getting into shape quickly enough to then be able to to get up and press. Uh, you know, I, I can think of at, le- at least three occasions where he's he, he set himself up ready to go and then has, has pulled out and it's almost lost cause and you know he knows he's not making it. And if you want to see those series of videos, let's make sure we get you the good old plug-in, Garrett. You can see them uh, on Twitter, at DavisGDD, or you can see them on YouTube by searching for Garrett Davis GDD. Uh, and yeah, fascinating stuff. Make sure you, you do have a look at those. The final question that Gareth has sent us in, uh, where did World Rugby uncover that ref from with Wayne Barnes running the line? 
give me Barnes for a game like that any day. Um, do you know what? I I, I really don't. I, I know there were a few calls that went against this, but I didn't think he had a particularly bad game. I think if you compare it to, to how Ben O'Keefe went earlier, I, I don't think that, um, that Matt Carley had a particularly bad game, to be honest. I think a lot of those calls were very, very borderline. Yeah, I, I didn't think he had a bad game. Uh, I think, in fact, I think he got most things obviously smack on. Um, it's it's the big ones. I mean, in reality, it's the uh, it's it's the two uh, which you know Pivac is uh, is very astutely picked out um, the the charge down uh, or the not charge down with uh, Willems. Um, no, that that for me any day of the week is a penalty and is a deliberate knock on. Um, mm. I think the fact that they've gone for the the uh, the assistant referee's decision on field decision, I I, I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was playing a a very dangerous political game. Um, you know, there's, there's a bit of a move for uh, giving the on-field decisions a little bit more a little more power, um, which is you know it's great and uh, it, it kind of it means that there's a lot of responsibility put onto the on-field. Um, but it was it was quite clearly wrong. Um, I, I, there's you know there's a, there's a lot of uh, diplomacy said mm-hmm. uh, put around the, around the game, and uh, you know I'm I'm certainly not one to to want to suggest that uh, they're Free's done a terrible job at any point, um, but that that particular decision that that's, that stands out as one that they've they've just got wrong. I, I'm going to have to put their hands up for that one. Um, and then there's the scrum. You know, it's a it, it, there's a snap decision to to give the penalty. Um, the, you know, it, it's it's interesting watching uh, watching Chats uh, movement across, across the scrum. Again, from the TV, uh, you, you, know, you start in the comfort of your own armchair. It, it looks so obvious that something was very wrong about that scrum. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah, I think it was, it was a pretty quick, de- quick decision to give the penalty against Wales. Um, other than those two, uh, you've, you know, you'll be pretty content, really, with uh, with uh, the quality of officiating. And uh, you know, I, I thought he, he he made a pretty uh, pretty open game in reality. I think the thing is as well, and obviously Pivak has, has had his say and, and hasn't been particularly complimentary with regards to some of those decisions. But like you say, to me, and this is kind of going to bookend the show, I think you you win or lose test matches on the decisions you make yourself. And I, it was a strange one, I think, going for that going for that scrum. I know we had the ascendancy, but you can guarantee the minute Demba Bamba comes off the bench and... Eddie Butler and co are saying, you know, uh, are saying, look, he's renowned for his ability around the pitch. He's not the best scrummager. You could, you could guarantee there was going to be a penalty from it. And I think this just goes to show that it is still a lottery at scrum time. Like you say, snap decisions are made. And in those scenarios, the one thing you could do is, is take it out, take it out of there, go for the, go for the line out, which is much less likely to, uh, to backfire on you. And generally, I thought fired all right during the game. I don't know. I, I just think it, had, it hadn't really worked in the first half. And to me, I, I, I never felt confident when they went for that next scrum. You're right. You look at it on the replay. And I, I, I think very easily that penalty could have gone the other way. But that's not the decision that you're able to influence. Yeah, it's, I agree with the kind of the analogy of a lottery. Uh, and, and it is. I mean, the... The, the various things that are going on at, at scrum time and it's an, it's an example of uh, of Glasgow buying a, a free kick uh, yesterday the, you know, the, the chances of something happening at, at scrum time at the top level of the game is far far greater than we see off a line out and yeah 
again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, and I think they, they probably look back at it and think, uh, you know, maybe the lineup was an option. But then at the same time, you know, with Emma Bamba coming on, the first thing everybody's saying is how, how weak his scrummaging is, and mm. kind of the Welsh should have been licking their lips uh, the moment he comes on the park. Um, and then you know they can see the penalty, so it's uh yeah incredibly difficult at the top end of the game. Um and uh, you know there was probably some other moments really. Uh, you know, the the referee didn't drop any passes. Uh, he, he didn't miss any tackles. Uh, and I think there's some key moments where those things did happen, which you know we can could maybe see as as being more influential than a than a scrum more like no decision. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Davis said it during the during the commentary when uh, when Tompkins threw the uh, threw the intercept. That that was a fourteen pointer, and it was because you you mm. felt like Wales were in the ascendancy. They had the overlap out wide, and if you go through the hands in the right in the right manner, then really you'd be you'd be expecting to score, even if not from that phase, from the next phase, and and that you know again that's that's not something that that is the referee's fault. But just to finish on the on the scrum point, it is becoming a bit of a, a narrative during this this tournament that Wales are not having a good time of it in the scrum. It happened against Ireland. It even happened in the drubbing of Italy and it's a bit of a worry for, for Wynne Jones who, to be perfectly honest, you know, given my limited knowledge of the scrum prior to, prior to this tournament, I, I think generally had a, a good reputation as a scrummager. He seems to be developing a reputation as a, as a bit of a shaky scrummager in the eyes of referees. How much of that will be a, will be a worry to the coaching staff? Oh yeah, I think uh, five penalties in, uh, in three internationals is, uh, is pretty significant. Um, and I, I think, You've probably got to look at where those penalties have come from. Uh, you know, obviously, Jonathan Humphreys has, uh, has done his bit in the in the media to try and uh, try and influence the the decision making around there. And you know, I actually think he's got a little bit of a point with some of it. Um, yeah. You know, I think the I think the strategy is bold, uh, and and I probably probably wouldn't have uh, gone down the same route of of being so public with the statements around it. Um, but the message within there, I mean. It, it's actually hard to disagree with some of them. It's, a, it's quite clear that there's there's a lot of movement across the scrum from some of the tight ends he's played against. Um, you know, you, you'd probably split the, those penalties in in half. Uh, you'd probably, if if he'd been penalised three times, then uh, maybe you wouldn't be so aggrieved. Um, but there's definitely a couple in there that have gone against him that you'd be you'd be pretty aggrieved at really. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Just to finish, then, Garrett, looking ahead to that game at Twickenham now. What would you be looking to do with regards to selection? Are you inclined to, you know, to, to stick with that side that, that ran France very, very close? Obviously, a couple of injuries aside, or would you be tempted to, to bring a few changes? Oh, I think main, mainly the same. Um, I think uh, we're probably going to see some, see possibly some uh, change in the back row. Uh, I think there's probably a decent chance of winning right starting a six. Um, I actually thought uh, Moriarty did a did a grand job yesterday and kind yeah, of got I did, the actually. park and made, it, made load of real good tackles. Um, I'd probably prefer to see him see him coming off the bench versus Wainwright. Um, mm. And when I saw Wainwright come on, I was, I, was, I was pleased to see him on the park. But kind of you wonder what uh, what big impact he was going to have. Um, whereas Moriarty can maybe bring a little bit more fire off the off the bench. Um, so potentially change there. And then you know, the scrum half is a that's going to be a pretty pretty big decision uh, as, to, as to what they go with there. Um, be interesting if, if Thomas Williams gets gets the nod. Uh, I thought he was pretty good when he came on. Uh, yeah, I did. Live, pretty lively and uh, willing to willing to get get in the mix and and may, maybe that's maybe that's what they need against England. Somebody who's going to fire things up a bit there. Yeah, it's uh, but again, you know, Gareth Davis has a 
has a really good record against England, particularly at Twickenham as well. Actually, you know, not yeah. just not just that World Cup game where he, you know, he got under the got under the post, but he scored a fantastic individual try in one of the World Cup warm ups. You know, I don't I don't think it's a place that that necessarily intimidates him. I just to yeah to to wrap up this week. I'm keen to get get your thoughts on this nine debate because I'm not entirely sure whether it's whether it's helping. You, you, you think on paper it's great to have these three options mm. and that it's gonna it's gonna spur everyone on, but in such a pivotal decision, is it uh, sorry in such a you know such a, a position on the pitch where there's so much decision making, is it almost better to have someone who knows that they're that they're number one nailed on? You know, a bit like a bit like a goalkeeper in football. What do you what do you think? Is it better to have someone who's who's going to be there consistently, or is it better to have players jockeying for position? Oh, I think it's uh, as as a player, you'd you'd want some confidence that you are number one and you and you're treated like number one. Um, and, and I think every every player uh, they they want that. I mean, every player says they want competition, which is true. Um, but you you definitely prefer competition when you when you're number one. Um, and, and it 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 definitely spurs you on when you know that you are absolutely backed by the coach. Uh, you know you you might make a couple of errors, uh, but you're still kind of regarded as number one. That I think it definitely plays it plays in your mind. Um, and you, you know you look at the three options that we've got. You know, I make no secret of the fact I think uh, I think Reece Webb is just out absolutely outstanding. Uh, for me, he's he's the best from after Wales have got available to them. Um, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd face Gareth Davis as a as an incredibly talented second choice behind there, um, and then in, in reality, I'd actually place Thomas Williams as, as the third choice, um, which uh, you know is pretty tough for for a player of his kind of caliber. Um, so yeah, it's a it's great having the competition. The players will will de- definitely thrive into that competition. But if you are number one, you want to be number one. You want to feel like you're number one, and, and I think it affects performance uh, if, if you know that you are you know you're backed by everybody and you're, and you're there because everybody believes in you. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Garen. It's been fantastic to chat to you again. It's helped take the sting out of a disappointing defeat, uh, defeat for for Wales, and hopefully. Next time we get you on, it'll be uh, to look back at a glorious victory. And, uh, yeah, hopefully there's one of those lined up for, for Twickenham in uh, in a fortnight's time. Um, a quick uh, a quick plug for our friends over at, uh, at London Welsh as well. If you're, if you're not able to, to get to Twickenham, then they'll be doing their um, – their usual hospitality there where you can go and watch the game, uh, go and watch the game on the big screens. It's a fantastic event. So uh, do um, do have a look on the London Welsh website if you want to get stuck into that as well. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Geraint, and we will be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.